Hey. Hey. Welcome to uh, Pen Pen Pals episode. What are we on? Is this episode 10? 14. 14. Episode 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have another wonderful new guest, uh, Savannah. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've heard you are, would you say, an avid anime fan, an avid Neon Genesis fan? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Neon Genesis is one of those series I didn't get into until I was a little bit older. Um, you know, anime was definitely part of my formative years. Mm-hmm. You remember Toonami? Like, yes. when we were all, like, nine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it started off with Sailor Moon. Sailor Moon was my go-to, and then it was Gundam Wing. I hated Gundam Wing because it got in the way of my Sailor Moon blog, but I grew to love it. <laughs> I'm a huge Studio Ghibli fan. Um, Princess Mononoke being my favorite. Oh, me too. Nice. Really? Right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just been a lot of series. Um, Attack on Titan. There's just a lot of the more old-school anime, so these days it's kind of hard, I feel like, to find something that just kind of like jumps out at me, like... Um, I'm more into films, so like Perfect Blue and Paprika, stuff like that is definitely yeah. my jam. Oh my god! <laughs> Alex and I uh, on a sleepover once, we were just like going through his brother's anime, and we like stumbled upon Perfect Blue. Like this is his older brother by you know four or five years. Like we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. <laughs> like, How old were y'all? Terrified. That's still one of my favorites. Probably like 14. Pretty heavy subject matter, but my God, it's just the psychological components of it. It's like this woman thinks she's going crazy, but she's actually not. But because of like the psychological torment, she actually does go crazy. And it's just so heavy. Yeah, yeah. And and I remember being so impressed by the animation. It's like one of the few animes where like you can tell like who's supposed to be like ugly and who's supposed to be attractive yeah. and stuff like that. Cause it's just like very realistic. One of the main yeah. themes of it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That too. It's very important to know that about all the people in that. And I think that studio was pretty phenomenal at, I guess, differentiating, like these are the people I'm supposed to really root for because they're pretty, they're cute. They're, they're wonderful. Same thing with Tokyo Godfathers, another movie by that studio. Have you seen that one? Is that about three homeless people that find a baby? Yes, yes it is. And, and it's, is one or more of them trans? Yes, one of them is a um, male to female trans. Oh man, I gotta check that out. It slipped past me, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say, fantastic movie. I highly recommend it. And it's just like how they handled the trans aspect was very respectful and delicate is the best way. And it was ahead of its time. But I think that that studio with all of its movies ahead of its time. It's, it's interesting. I think kind of like trans acceptance maybe came before gay acceptance in Japanese culture. I think so too. Which is kind of fascinating. I think maybe, maybe the attitude is just like, kind of like don't ask, don't tell. Whereas with like trans issues, that's not as much of an option. I mean, wonders if that's rooted in like the culture and like the history behind Kabuki, where you had men that predominant, that played hmm. the roles of literally everyone, women included. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that yeah. ties together, but I feel like there's something there. That's something I might have to look up. Yeah, isn't that yeah. bizarre? That's a tradition in European theater too, yes. like Shakespeare's time, you know? Yeah, and and we've actually, we've talked in this show before about how then there's also like a theatric tradition of then women playing boys mm-hmm. in, in stuff. So like in Peter Pan and uh, in a lot of, 
uh, anime, including in Evangelion, where Shinji is a uh, voice actor. Megumi Ogata, she also voiced Sailor Uranus and Sailor Moon. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't it? Real quick, do you ha- <laughs> or off the top of your head, do you remember the name of that studio that did Tokyo Godfathers? Uh, I think the director should Satoshi Khan. Yes, he passed away in 2012. Okay, cool. That's just something I'd like to put in the show notes. Just going back, and this might be in the, uh, you know, as an editing note, might go back when we first introduced Savannah. We were at this uh, a socially distant outdoor party uh, a couple weeks back, and Cassie brought up that, you know, I was uh, had gotten her started watching Evangelion. And as soon as Cassie said that, Savannah just kind of like lit up and like started like talking about like the studios. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, you need to get on this podcast. <laughs> I was very excited. You know this stuff. Yeah, you're, you're talking about like Studio Trigger and, and stuff that I think uh, Brian had just mentioned on our podcast. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I just heard about this. So. How very cool. Well, I'm so glad that you're excited. We're also very excited uh, uh, for this episode <laughs> and to have you on. So you started with Toonami and uh, Sailor Moon. And then when did you first experience Neon Genesis? Neon Genesis, honestly, that was probably about, I would say, seven years ago. Um, I found it on Crunchyroll. You know, I, I had engaged with it a little bit when I was younger, but I don't think, you know, I was quite prepared for something that was so real in terms of how it grapples with, you know, teenage hormones, stuff of that nature. The psychological component was definitely something I was just like, I'm not here for this. I want my shonen and my shoujo eye. I want that. (laughs) When I became older, it's like, okay, I want something that's going to make me think, that's going to Mm. engage me differently than Sailor Moon. I want something that's, I don't know, I guess more fulfilling. Mm -hmm. It's a very different breed from Sailor Moon. So yeah, probably about seven years ago, like I said. Yeah, I've uh, I've thought of it and kind of heard it described that way as a transition anime because it does have awesome shonen aspects, like you said. But it is, yeah, like you said, broaching new subject matter. I'm all about that instant gratification, man. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the uh, the PP Pals Peapod update? Oh, it's beautiful this week. So I'm about to. I wish I could have harvested them today so I could show you, but I'm about to harvest uh, a handful of these beautiful Roma tomatoes that ended up like cherry tomato sized, but they're yellow, they're they're gorgeous and nothing has eaten them yet. So I'm very excited about that. That's amazing, are you planning, are they in pots? No, uh, uh, I did, when COVID started, I started what I called my anarchy garden. I love that. And we did it right in the ground, which was a mistake because there's so much <laughs> clay and roots down there. But uh, we like me and my, uh, my mother helped me set everything up. And we, we did it. We did a 10 by 10 garden and we successfully grew pea pods and they're all dead now. But uh, <laughs> and then, but that's just what happens with people. It happens, yeah. And now, and yeah, tomatoes is the, the latest thing. Tomatoes are great, man. Do you grow anything? Interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes, I do grow. Um, I have a flower bed out front. Uh, we had a, a small garden in the backyard. Um, you you don't you don't need to incriminate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh right right okay cool. Um, <laughs> so and before I forget, uh, Ben, how is the Pem Pem Pals uh, podcast update? Okay, so I, I've been thinking, and I think I always I started to like dread this 
segment a little bit because then I just have to think about like how slow the progress is on the work I'm doing. Mm, okay. <laughs> so I was thinking of substituting instead of it being an update on the podcast I'm working on, it could turn into a podcast recommendation. And so I'm going to recommend uh, one that I was recommending to you earlier, Alex, um, as someone who's gotten into YouTube, uh, which is the New York Times Rabbit Hole, which is it's this kind of eight-part documentary about YouTube and social media and kind of the algorithms that dictate kind of what we hear and what we see and then kind of how changes to those algorithms can change the way people feel about politics and conspiracy theories and it kind of tries to link different movements we've we've seen kind of recently you know things like the rise of the alt-right uh gate the QAnon movement to these algorithms that these corporations are just kind of messing around with and you know how you have these huge platforms that millions of people are watching simultaneously these little tweaks of the dials to those can end up kind of having these huge rippling effects so so that's that's my recommendation good recommendation i can say i'm about two episodes in and so far it's pretty accurate and the 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 story that's being told is quite familiar Mm -hmm. uh there are a lot of people that get sucked into kind of this like vortex or pipeline and yeah like like you said it's fascinating to look at how spectacle and like shock value kind of almost wins all over all else as it has in almost all of media. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's not any new tradition. We have like the shock jocks of the nineties and we have the, uh, well, I don't know, like. Muck racking of the 1800s. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yellow journalism. I, I feel like in the short run, it always wins first. And then maybe over a longer time period, we figure out more about stuff i don't know or maybe we we undo those errors while we're creating new errors i don't know it is it's it's a new york times podcast right so it's kind of like like an npr podcast it's quite produced it's more akin to uh the stuff that ben usually works on than like this you know uh uh, it's very polished is what i'm saying and it weaves a compelling narrative i thought this was polished i think this is great i like i listened to a couple (laughs) episodes i was like this is great wow thanks yeah, yeah, it is. It is increasingly hard to find. I don't know if our uh, Joe Rogan, This American Life, Valor Stealing <laughs> technique uh, got us like blacklisted from the iTunes store or something, but I, I was searching for it today and I couldn't find it actually. So we might, I was thinking we might also just like rebrand as like PP pals. PP pals. That sounds bad. PP pals. No, I think we can keep pen pen pals if we just if we throw like you said if we just throw neon genesis into the the title title instead of the descriptions. I think it'll come up. I was just gonna say, Alexa and I've been playing Final Fantasy fourteen, and I've been talking about this podcast because, like I said, I listened to a couple episodes, and I think what you guys are doing is great. So Thanks. I think I'm gonna spread this online. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. I'm yeah. terrible at self promotion. You know, so if you want to yeah. help? Absolutely. Please. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and you can you can tell people like and one of the hosts is like a communist. So like. Yes. Yeah, straight up. Wait, is is that the Final Fantasy that's uh, like in MMO? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you're like talking about it with strangers on the internet. Oh, absolutely. But I I have nice. like I have clout. <laughs> I mean, I have some sort of like sway over people i can tell them hey listen. are you in a clan i am <laughs> i'm actually <laughs> leading a guild right now with uh, alexa <laughs> a guild yeah 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 last time on serial experiment ritsuko something spooky got into nerve hq the pilots took showers, were jettisoned into a lake on the geofront, and were promptly forgotten about. Ritsuko dealt with an early-ish midlife crisis by beating a microscopic self-evolving angel at programming. Shady Gendo did nothing except give permission to save the day and lie to the government, while Misato lent a helpful hand to Ritsuko, even though another staff computer scientist would have probably been way more helpful. Kaji was doing something betray-y in a hatch, but failed to illuminate his goals for us. Can the pilots borrow each other's Avas? Is the nerve crew working for the weekend? Would a dedicated audience tolerate a clip show? Let's find out. All right, episode 14. Seal, Seed of the Soul, as Seal reviews Nerve and Gendo's actions with the third through 11th angels, Ritsuko conducts a test in which the Ava pilots switch units. Do we do the intro? We'll listen to the intro, and maybe Alex will even regale us with a song. I'll try. Man, I'm I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're excited because it got me really excited, and I was really just glued even to the even to the beginning of the ep- or the first half of the episode. Right? It's a clip show. You're like, ugh, this is this is kind of garbage. This is what you know sitcoms do this just to fill another episode because it's cheap, right? Like, I guess a sitcom does kind of the same thing. They try to pick out what they thought was the best joke or the most prescient joke of each episode. But instead, we get a more condensed thing, a more congealed idea of the animation budget for that episode. You know, not the whole thing, just some highlights, just some cool, really cool shots that if you had been watching as a kid in Japan and you didn't have the ability to record this off of the TV and review it a bunch of times like an older otaku would be able to, well then you'd be ecstatic to be like, oh, wasn't that cool? Oh, I got to see him shoot the Positron rifle again. It was exciting again, just to take the time to look at these beautiful shots. The excuse for doing this, we find out halfway through is that this is some sort of a slideshow or a presentation 
And so the, the words are really kind of focused on kind of the combat and the tactics and like what happened. It, it's very much focused on kind of the mech battles. Um, like, like you're saying, maybe for the people who are there for the mech battles, this is kind of like the reminder of like, kind of like why they're watching the show right before it goes off the deep end with <laughs> some other stuff. I feel like it's like the two sides of this show, one of them gets like the first half and the other one gets the, the second half of this episode. Mm -hmm. And we are right at, at kind of the middle of the, the season as well. This is about when Gynax started running out of money, right? But, but no, it, most of those sitcom filler episodes are just pretty cringy. I think this is a really good recap. Um, especially, you know, I can speak to experience because we've been watching The Office for the 18th time. They just had one of those fluff episodes and it's like, this is dumb. I don't need to hear the jokes again. I've heard them already. This, I, I think you're right. It's really good concept. Okay, so let's go through it. First they have, they review the sake ale thing. The only note I had on that was that when Misato is doing her voiceover, it says, or no, not even voiceover. It's the, the title card says... Uh, like Sakael defeated or, or Third Angel defeated, Unit 01 suffers moderate damage. And moderate damage included cranial trauma, like a blast through the back of the head. I was like, what would severe damage look like? Uh, and then we review Shamshael, the class rep, I think is the voice over there. I couldn't tell exactly who it was. But I think it's the class rep uh, who is Pen Pen's true disciple. It was just cool to see side characters get some speaking time. That was awesome. And then the next one is also Kensuke uh, talking about the Ramael attack. Oh, that's awesome. Because Kensuke before had talked about casualties of the first attack where someone said, like, there are no casualties. And Kensuke is like, you're joking, right? That's a lie from the government or the media or something. There's no way people weren't hurt. And so he's continuing to theorize throughout the series. He says, I think that something happened there. I think that Ray protected Shinji in the operation, uh, not because of anything Shinji said, but because of Ray. He's like, Ray seems that way. I think this happened. And the way they responded to each other changed after that day. And uh, just, just as a reminder, so Sakael is that kind of humanoid, that first angel that Shinji fights. Then Shamshell is that snake-like thing with the uh, yeah. the energy whip. Kind of cephalopod-like. Kind of looks like a penis when it rears up. Very, very weird imagery. Yeah. Yes, it does. Very phallic. <laughs> uh, and then Ramael is that kind of like D8, like geometric one, that Anno design. What, do you have any favorite angel designs from the series uh, that we've come across so far or that you remember? I don't mean to oh, put man. you on the spot. Um, Shamshiel. Definitely. It, it's very suggestive in nature. It's, <laughs> that's a dumb reason, but it's, it's a very interesting angel. It's, they all have these really bizarre designs, but I think that one, it's recognizable, but at the same time, it's not. Most of them, like, it, it has, okay, one is literally just like a prism, like a, a, a pyramid. The other, you know, um, what is it? The sixth one is basically the biblical Leviathan. Under all the aircraft air carriers. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But definitely that one. It's it's just so bizarre. I think 
I think the angels kind of fall into two basic categories of design. There are the, it looks like this, like Shamshell, it looks like a cephalopod or it has features of that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't look enough like it that you just identify immediately. Gagale's the same, similar way. Absolutely. And then the other one is uh, the completely inhuman one. They hit our uncanny valley less yes. because they're so far away from human, but when we think about them being alive, it's a more disturbing concept. And those tend to be the ones that Anno or Anno uh, designed himself. Ramael and um, Sahakuel, I think, is the one that drops pieces of itself down to the Earth's surface as bombs. Those ones that make you think, you're like, is it alive? What does it feel? How would that experience even That's work? That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. So I hope I'm not jumping ahead here and um, forgive me, stop me if I yeah, am. No worries. Yeah. So when we're looking at the command room where we sh- they show the scene of uh, Ikari, do you notice the symbolism on the ceiling and on the floor? And they show it in the opening sequence, so it's very hard to miss. Uh, are you talking about uh, Gendo's the office Sephiroth, with the, the Tree of Life that's inscribed or on? Kabbalah? I think that's on the ceiling. Oh yeah, go ahead. I just think it's so fascinating. So I did some research into like all the like Jewish and Christian imagery, and apparently, so there's a thing where the, they weren't trying to be overly meaningful. They just thought, oh, this imagery is actually quite fascinating, but don't read too much into it. That's like what they've said, like publicly. It was like we just thought it was cool. Basically, um, I I tried researching this, trying to find like any like actual information, but for the most part, they just really like the imagery. There isn't anything two D. And now, if there if somebody has something else to to, I guess combat that or prove me wrong, please do because I couldn't find anything to to really combat that. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have anything to combat that. I just have something to add it. Like, yes, and it's kind of a synchronicity. Like, it's not that, yeah, maybe they thought that imagery was cool and they decided to use it, but it ends up working. Yes, it does. We've discussed, or we've mentioned this before, and I meant to go more into Kabbalah on, as we went through the episodes, but it, the research kind of just got away from me. The The node, the Sephiroth that... Gendo's desk sits at yes under that uh, under the tree of life is Keter, which is the top Sephiroth. That is the seed of like unlimited knowledge, and so that would be that would be like communion with God in in some traditions or in from a certain angle, and in another angle that would be God. Oh right? wow! And Gendo acts like that. He does. Yes, absolutely. He's like, I know what's going on. I know what's best. It's very patriarchal. Mm-hmm. And like, it could be a, not necessarily a misanthropic deity, mm-hmm. but one who does not care about the minutia, doesn't care about the day-to-day aspects of people's lives mm-hmm. like most religions would leave you to believe. Mm-hmm. He is mm-hmm. concerned with human instrumentality. He is concerned with what humans can do and what they can accomplish uh, with the right leadership, right? In, in the words of Asuka, she, she's talking about Ray at the time, but he's a really, he's a real ends justify the means kind of guy. Oh, absolutely. Mm. That is phenomenal. Mm. I mean, 
how could they sit there and say, okay, well, we're going to borrow this imagery, but don't read too much into it. But it's like, okay, but you are applying it in these ways that are just so brilliant that if you don't have the knowledge, you're going to miss it. But it's incredible. Like, honestly, I didn't know that about the, the topmost node on the tree of life of the, you know, the Kabbalah. I didn't know that, that that was basically, mm -hmm. community. So that's fantastic. I mean, that's incredible. Right. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know if this is a big tradition for Japanese auteurs or, or just auteurs mm. in general to like say, oh, I don't know, wink, nod. <laughs> but it, I, maybe there's some of that. But I, it's, it, it's cooler to think about that they just like the imagery, like you said. Well, and, and then in like a collaborative thing too, you know, maybe the person who designed that read into it and like came up with that. And like Anno doesn't even know, but <laughs> you know, someone else like put those details in there, something like that. Yeah, like like the product, the culmination of everybody's work being more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, absolutely. Hell, that's magic. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> art there. That's so cool. Absolutely. So 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 we go through a couple more attacks. So we got Israfel, who's the one that Asuka splits in half, and then they have to do that kind of coordinated dance battle. Um, we've got Sandalfon, who's the, the one in the volcano, um, kind of looks like a deep sea creature. We get to see the mouth opening shot again, mm -hmm. and it is awesome when it just goes <laughs> and does a chomp. Like it, it's terrifying, and it's a beautiful animation, like from the perspective. And then uh, Matriel. Uh, or material or whatever, who is the uh, the kind of daddy long legs looking one that they um, shoot from down in the the well, and then uh, Sahakwiel, which is that uh, big eye space monster one that's like dropping bombs on them. Mm -hmm. Very cartoony. Love that design. <laughs> in the synopsis, one of the title cards that's repeated is it'll show the the angel being destroyed. And then it says angel annihilated, which I don't know if, you know, in English at least, there's a cool little alliteration there, but it also reminded me of, although this predates, so I guess the other thing reminds me of this, but in one of my favorite game series, the uh, like Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne, they make a point of every time you beat a boss, there is a, a game specific message. Like in Dark Souls, it says like victory achieved or enemy or uh, something you defeated was the first translation, which is very bizarre. And they they do that to try to flavor subconsciously, almost flavor how you feel about these encounters. And so I really liked that the angel annihilated. All right, on to the next one. Like because this is their job, because this is a matter of world-ending significance. But they're professionals. We have to move on. Next slide, please. No, you can't savor that victory for too long. Don't get too cocky. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I don't think we've gotten any celebration no. scenes from anyone except for the pilots. And that's just Misato taking them out for dinner. Yep. Because they're like, well, they're children. And we need to placate their, their wants. <laughs> so, so then we go to that kind of security council kind of meeting. Gendo mentions the Dead Sea Scrolls, that everything is going according to plan. You know, they, they ask him about Nerve HQ being infiltrated. 
Um, is that by that microscopic angel? Is that by the, are they talking about the thing we saw last episode, which he has left off of his, uh, his presentation? Yes. Um, and so he's like, no, 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 that never happened. That never happened. You can check the Mag Magi records. And they're like, look, we know that you can just lie about whatever, mm -hmm. but just know that if we find out you're lying, you could, that could be punishable by death. Yeah, and it's that very upper crust po politics. You have to talk around things and hope that your opponent messes up mm -hmm. because you have to maintain these, I don't know, this air of compliance. Like you have to act as if you're not adversarial to the person on the other end, even though both of you are trying to get the other to admit to something. Right. They're like, and what about this angel that infiltrated Nerve HQ? And he's like, nope, that didn't happen. Don't you remember? We called you and you, we said it was a false alarm. And they're like, oh, right. Forgot about that. We, we don't have spies in your headquarters. No, no. no. <laughs> right. It's got to be Kaji, right? No, he's got to be the red herring. There's got to be another spy. I don't remember this stuff. Gendo loves lying to the government. I wonder if Gendo's a fascist. I don't remember Ooh. if I've talked about this before, but I wonder because there are some of the markings of a fascist leader. Like he is, he's kind of independent. He is part of a large, the head of a large organization with a lot of power behind it, but he still is at least, I don't know, image wise subservient to SEAL, subservient to the UN, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like he is allied with capital. He's allied with the liberal government, liberal democratic government, and is more taking more and more power to combat whatever evil, or not evil, whatever is against them. So like in the case of a fascist, it would be uh, a credible threat from the left, usually from labor. And in this case, it's the angels, right? Because the angels are attacking, he's like, you gotta give me more authority. You gotta give me more of this. And they do, they comply every time. They're like, look, we don't like the way you're running things, but here's a bunch of money to fund your Avas. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's definitely kind of like the strong man that, that they're kind of trusting in this, this moment of crisis. Um, even though they're not really sure what his deal is and, and they're kind of suspicious of some of his, his motives. Hmm. Uh, and then they say, they tell him like, oh, and you know, there's no reason to come up with your own scenario, Gendo. I think that the SEAL scenario that we have laid out will be sufficient. And Gendo's like, yeah, of course. It will all come about according to the scenario you guys have laid up. But the way he's saying it, you're like, well, of course, he already right. has his own scenario. He's not gonna ask them for, for permission, but they have to put on record like, hey, we told you, you didn't need to do your own thing in case we got to refer back to it later. And that's kind of the end of the, the recap, right? Right, yep. I just love these title cards and they're very traditional Japanese cinema. And this is, I think, where we, can have our spoiler session because we're going to talk about Ray and we're going to talk about the Avas and we're going to talk about them switching around. So uh, I think this might be what I cut and put at the end. So if we want to talk about anything spoilery, now would probably be the good time. Uh, well, well, I guess kind of while we're talking about the Gendo stuff too. So, so what's the deal with the Dead Sea Scrolls? You know, is that 
foreshadowing that there's kind of some weird religious thing going on here? What I can comment on is so all the angels' names do come from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Hmm. And now... Wait, what? Yes, they do. I'm sorry, like the real world Dead Sea Scrolls? Yes. Oh my gosh, sorry. You're so cool. Go ahead. And that's really all about all that I know about the Dead Sea Scrolls. (laughs) My fiance would honestly probably know way more about them than I do, but this is just research that I did last night, and that was definitely something that I found was their names do to come from that. Hmm. Like, like we didn't know about these angels before then or oh. we're just like, they're like mentioned as part of that stuff. To be clear, the Dead Sea Scrolls they are talking about are not the same no. as the Dead Sea Scrolls of the real world. Right. That is true. Yes. Uh, the, and the names of the angels, uh, if I'm reading your right, Spanner, came from the real world Dead Sea Scrolls. Yes. And those are the oldest living record, not living, the oldest uh, observable records of the Torah, right? Of, of Jewish, uh, uh, the Jewish books of the Bible? Yes, that is my understanding, correct. So I think they are using the Dead Sea Scrolls. I think this is gonna come up. The Dead Sea Scrolls in universe, in Neon Genesis, are a set of stone tablets that they found. I don't know if it's in one of the eggs of life, which are moons, right? But they found them with either Adam or Lilith. I guess after translating these stone tablets, they have, that's where they got their idea. And that's where they're getting all of their ideas for the creation of the Avas and how they knew the angels would come back and things of that ilk. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure that's how it is. Yeah, so I guess my understanding, so real life Dead Sea Scrolls, they're like some of the oldest versions of the Bible that we found, right? So there was a Bible that's been passed down for thousands of years and edited in certain ways. And then we found like these old documents that showed kind of like some of the like first edition stuff of the the Bible. And then I'm I'm on the Evangelion fandom wiki site right now and it looks like then there's maybe like this second secret dead sea scrolls um so i don't know if the idea is that at the same time we found those there was other stuff that didn't get made public or something like that and then that contains this information about the the angels and the sphere of longinus and longinus I, I would say longinus, but I think you can say it however. Yeah, I think it's one of those that's just say it how you feel most comfortable. <laughs> when I was young, I said longingness, which is definitely not right. <laughs> and the spear of longinus is historically real world, right? The legend is that the the spear of longinus is the spear that pierces the side of Christ as he is crucified on the cross. Uh, and there are a bunch of legends about this that come up to like World War II. I don't know anything past World War II, but uh, there's a, there are real world efforts to find this thing. Mm. In addition to other biblical artifacts, like pieces of the true cross, right? Mm-hmm. The cross that Christ was said to have been crucified on. Maybe the, the search for the Holy Grail. Exactly. 
and the the lancer spear of longinus is so is such a popular mystical endeavor that it it gets it was covered in like hellboy and supposedly if you have the lance of longinus as you hold it you are invincible Mm -hmm. but that's not particularly what they do in the series i think in the series I think it incapacitates a an angel or a seed of life. Adam was originally incapacitated by his lance of Longinus. That's why it's in this, or that's why the angels did not become the dominant species on the planet, because it went dormant when Lilith showed up on the planet. And something, oh, I read this at some point, something happens to Lilith's lance of Longinus, because each moon, each seed of life, or, or egg of life, has a lance that corresponds to the seed. So Adam has a lance and Lilith has a lance. But when Lilith's egg crashes into the earth, the lance either becomes damaged or lost or something. And so in response, Adam's egg activates its lance and puts it into uh, stasis, essentially. Correct. So that the two don't come into contact or conflict. And now at the end of the episode, we see Ray has the lance. So like they have it, which means that it's not in either Adam or Lilith. So like they're both technically active right now. That is correct. Yes. Oh my God. In addition to being an awesome guest, you're also an excellent fact checker. (laughs) (laughs) I I get really lost. I feel like once we start talking about like Lilith and stuff like that, I kind of like glaze over a little bit oh man and that is where it gets esoteric yeah i feel like it starts getting like very esoteric fast and i'm like wait are these like real things or like what's going on like which works out for the theming of the show because one of the themes of the show is not magic per se I mean, in some ways, in some definitions, it is magic. The technology they're working with to create the Avas, the stuff they're doing, they don't completely understand it. They are traditions laid down in the Dead Sea Scrolls, techniques laid down in the Dead Sea Scrolls that they have to more or less believe in, in addition to understanding it somewhat. So there is that leap there, which kind of works thematically up and down, that uh, some of the stuff, some of the tangents they will go off may not work or they might work narratively Mm -hmm. or they might work realistically but they may not do both because ultimately in order to really love a piece of art i feel like at some point you have to suspend disbelief absolutely i guess just to to bring it back and make it a little bit more concrete so that that lance of uh longinus the word itself makes some men uncomfortable vagina Oh yeah. <laughs> That's the thing that we see uh, that we see Ray carrying in that kind of final sequence where she's like walking down this like long lit high uh, long lit hallway, um, kind of carrying this this two pointed weapon. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very bizarre. Okay. Or oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to maybe like move us back to um, kind of second half of the episode. Um, Ray's teenage existential crisis. So yeah, like you said, we'll go back to uh, 
uh, Ray is doing a test inside of an Ava, or we don't even see that at first. We see that Ray is having some sort of a stream of consciousness experience, almost like a hallucinogen. Like she's in a dissociative fugue. That's almost what it seems like. She's kind of like having this identity crisis. Like, okay, well, to me, it kind of reads like, okay, I'm trying to ground myself. Wow. So that's, that's me. That's me right there. So she's trying to bring herself back down to like, okay, I have to, you know, readjust my psyche. I'm grounding myself. Okay. That's me right there. That's Hikari. These are people that I recognize very clearly. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of a brilliant uh, uh, commentary on how we, how identity works, Mm -hmm. how we ultimately define ourselves, right? Like animals in the wild, they don't have the same sense of identity as us. They have more of a sense of experience. Right. Uh, Whereas humans, because of the way our brains kind of dichotomize things, and maybe animals do this too, but we can't know, at least for now, the way we dichotomize things lends itself to you and I, us and them. Those kinds of things, which, yeah, ultimately to bring yourself back to, quote, who you are, is not going to be something completely internal. It's going to have to require data points or landmarks of the people you know, the things you know. Man, yeah, she has this awesome, weird experience. And this is because, like, this isn't just her having this experience. There's a reason, right? Mm-hmm. She's, we we come out of the test, they... Uh, uh, they ask her to like break her connection with the Ava or whatever it is. And we get one of those cool sequences of weird patterns as like the layers of neural connection fade from the Ava and the pilot, right? Yes. Then we see that she's not in OO. This isn't a normal test. She's actually in O1. And as we go on, we see that Shinji does a test in OO and Asuka also does a test, but just in O2. And they even say to her, hey, or she says like, hey, am I going to have to try one of those other Avas? And Musato tells her, oh, no, that's okay. You wouldn't want to pilot anything but O2 anyways, right? Like that's your Ava. But she's lying to her. Right. So Ray is having that existential crisis as she's inside O1. Mm-hmm. O1, yeah. So, so that's interesting. There's something specifically about that experience that's like fucking with her. Yes. And then the last thing is they get her out or she uh, stops the test and they say like, how are you? And she says, I'm fine. It smells like Shinji, right? This like this cockpit smells like Shinji. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and then sh- paralleled Shinji also says at the end of his test, he's like, it smells like Ray. Uh, or yeah. not at the end, I'm sorry, before it goes berserk. He says, it smells like Ray. It's familiar, but it's not quite the same. And it smells yeah. like Ray. And it's interesting too. It's kind of um, kind of like the dance episode where Ray and Shinji were just kind of like very quickly, perfectly in sync, whereas it took Shinji a lot of time to sync up with Asuka. Here again, we have like Ray and Shinji have like kind of the same first reaction. They're just like independently just like saying this thing about how it like smells like the other person. And we have like Asuka being like, what a like pervert, what a weird yeah. thing to say. Highlighting Asuka's like foreignness, right? That, mm. you know, like the the two Japanese characters have the same reaction and no one else like comments on how weird that is. 
but then like Asuka's first reaction is just like that's a weird thing to say <laughs> and Asuka even teases Shinji right yeah yeah uh she makes some joke about his mom right like do you want to cry to your mommy or something like that mm-hmm. and it's this real cruel joke because obviously his mom's gone it's perfect commentary for that moment yeah yeah synchronicities like perfect parallelism that in a work that wasn't geared towards it you might be like isn't that a little spot on right on the nose yeah like that's a big theme about it and a lot of these parallels don't present themselves going forward they only work retrospectively on a rewatch like you know the series really is geared to be reviewed it's really neat it's it's brilliant writing it really is so we uh or it goes on to shinji's test and shinji's test starts okay but we get a similar thing to when ray inside the oo went berserk right Mm -hmm. and now we get this subtle hint very cool thing shinji also has this disassociative vision quest drug trip sequence and the last shot of it is very telling because you get this the last shot of it is a uh naked floating and not the angle is actually very cool because the angle makes it not sexualized at all you can't see the curves of the body and so it's more it's more innocent it's more pure than uh a lot of the other shots in the show i I was gonna say it's 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 also very like creepy like almost more like ghost-like or something like that yes isn't that angle awesome it's like from the i think it's from like the top of the head and then the face slowly turns up in this almost inhuman angle and the angle looks almost like maybe a fisheye lens yeah it's like a little too big it's a little too close to you yeah it's like it contacts him it like looks up it's like oh my gosh who are you I don't know what happens to him. We get silence from the cockpit, but that's when the unit OO goes berserk. Yeah. Um, And Ritsuko thinks that she's the target, that it's trying to kill her. And Ray looks like, well, Ray just acts like Gendo. Ray just stands in front of the window as it's getting smashed. (laughs) Yeah, so, so this is the third time in this show that you have a character standing at those same windows. They've rebuilt this these windows twice already. And then like the Ava's like, look up, go berserk, start punching them. And someone just stands there, like completely unfazed. And then someone else is like, get back, get back. So yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if that's like a, a cheapness of animation thing where they're like, well, we already have it like smashing the windows. So let's just like throw that in there and have someone else stand there this time. Um, but it is very effective. It's always dramatic. Um, and yeah, so Misato thinks that it's targeting Ray, but Ritsuko thinks it's targeting her. And I'm not, I'm not really sure why Ritsuko thinks that. I don't either. That's what's confusing to me. So is that why uh, she, like, they make these jokes about her, like, pursuing these teenage kids living with her? Oh. Oh, you mean with, like, Misato? Yes. Or... I noticed that was a common theme, and it's just kind of like, this is kind of weird. Like, people were joking about initially when Shinji moved in with her, it's like, oh, are you going to go after him? I was like, this is nasty. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's gross. 
because Ginda is like that towards Ray, and then Kaji's like that towards Asuka. It's like, oh, well, she's not going to perform unless she thinks I'm like giving her special attention. Okay, Asuka. It's like, that's nasty. Yeah, and it's to keep them subservient, to keep their emotional states not in check, but manipulatable. Like, to have a point that, that can be manipulated on them. And because they're preteens, sexuality is the easiest way to keep them off kilter and to keep them in line. <laughs> it is kind of interesting, too, I guess, maybe just kind of from the broader, like, Freudian lens that, like, like as children go through puberty, right, mm-hmm. that then all of this stuff is like kind of now theoretically on the table, right? Like you are a sexual being, just like these like adults around you for the first time and you're like understanding the world on that level and have to kind of awkwardly navigate that. Yeah. And, and right, so that is just like this weird universal human experience that most of us go through in, in much simpler situations than these pilots do but but not everyone right like this is weird shit that people deal with yeah i mean from one angle it's a cool experiment or or artistic experiment to say what would it be like to have to deal with these emotions while you also have to save the world right yeah but from another angle it may be almost equating the two things Mm -hmm. and it's not that it's not that Sexuality is that important in the grand scheme of things, but it is to you, right? It is to the individual person. It is this driving compulsion. And this isn't a completely universal experience. There are some people who who go through puberty differently or have, you know, like... Absolutely. There are exceptions, but it's a fairly universal, I guess, cognitive process or physiological process to have this like driving need to associate with other people sexually and it seems to color everything right man that is brilliant so at the same time that this is coloring everything in your life changing all of your experiences because now everything you look at could be interpreted in this new way right yes at the same time you have to be in high school or you have to be (laughs) in middle school or you have to be Mm. and you have to deal with all of this stuff that is for your future for the perpetuation of the species and the the human society while trying to grapple with this whole new reality. I'd never thought about it like that, right? It's like, yeah, I, in an ideal world, you would have time to actually like think about this stuff and unpack it. But instead, everyone just kind of like ignores it. You know, maybe you get some shitty sex ed and then it's like, yeah, just, just suppress all that shit and like, do your homework, do your work, and like get shit done, and uh, I don't know, figure it out on your own time. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty apt. <laughs> right, so I guess, so Misato and Risco like debrief after the, the incident. Um, that's where kind of, like Risco just kind of mentions to herself, she thinks she was the target of the attack. And then uh, Shinji wakes up, uh, another of these shots of the very bright hospital room. Mm. And he says, it's the same ceiling or the same room. <laughs> mm. I was just thinking one of the titles of one of the previous episodes was an unfamiliar ceiling. Um, so maybe that's kind of a callback to that. Now it's a familiar ceiling. Mm. Mm. 
So what you said before, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry. Let me try to put this thought together because it's in keeping with what you just said. And it seems brilliant to me, uh, what you expressed that in a, in a more just perfect universe, we would be able to, or maybe just society, we would be able to set aside time and try to work through these burgeoning emotions in a safer environment. Right. But we can't, we have to live life forward and we have to understand it backwards. And like in, in, in one way, maybe neon Genesis is trying to be that in that it is geared towards rewatching. It is geared towards uh, scrutiny in the way that the otaku community had the ability to do. Maybe it is trying in its own way to be an unpacking of those emotions, to be, to show people everyone has a strange time dealing with sexuality and like you are no different. And you can look at this as uh, an allegory for your own experience, the importance of it. I was gonna say, I feel like kind of anime maybe tends to get into some of the more sexual stuff. But I guess like now there's that uh, like Big Mouth, that Netflix show is very much about teenage sexuality and stuff like that but um like flcl um if you guys have seen that that's like very much a like coming of age grasping with your young teenage sexuality kind of show yeah is that gynax too let's find out yeah i don't know who did it i think i was just reading there's some other anime that ano quit uh, being the director from, and then the director that went on to direct FLCL was the person who was kind of picked to replace Anno, so he like stepped up to it. It was Gynax. Oh, it is Gynax. Yes, it is. That's that's definitely one of my favorites. Me I think too. Especially because it's such a like short, sweet, like show. It's like what six episodes? Yeah. I always loved the soundtrack. The, what was yeah, it? The the ah, oh yeah. my god. <laughs> that show. The, just the vibes. I think that and like uh, Savannah, do you ever watch Serial Experiments Lane? No. <laughs> I don't know how much it holds up plot wise, but just I think if you like FLCL and like this, it's like uh, it's just like very cool. Is that Crunchyroll or is there any sort of service I could find that on very easily? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. It looks like you can get the first one just on YouTube. Definitely something worth checking out. I have never watched Serial Experiments Lane, so it might be. I've heard good things from you and my brother. FLCL, yeah, you're right, has a lot of the same themes, or at least sexual coming-of-age themes as uh, Ava, and it's... I never, like, I, I obviously, I have picked up on some of those things, but I never thought of it as a work almost solely dedicated to that allegory. It's a son competing with his yeah. dad for the affection of this woman. <laughs> so there's kind of a bit of an Oedipus complex there. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he looks like, oh my gosh, the dad in that doll totally looks like Gendo. He has the glasses. Thank you, Gynax. <laughs> and, and literally it's like about strange things like growing out of his body and <laughs> trying to control them. We should do something in the future about FLCL and have you on, Savannah. Okay, so we get this scene of Kozo and Gendo 
speaking on where everything is, where where the different projects are going. Mm -hmm. uh, Gendo tells, Kozo asks like, what about the progress with Adam? What about the progress with this other thing? And Gendo tells him that everything's going fine. Kind of strange, I feel like Gendo would be asking Kozo because Gendo's like the big idea guy and Kozo's like the, you know, the second in command, gets stuff done, like keeps things on track and on uh, schedule. Um, so that was kind of weird to me that maybe there are, or, but maybe it's intentional. Maybe, maybe there are things that Gendo even keeps from Kozo. Yeah. Right. Uh, and Kozo appeared to be having a conversation with Gendo, doing what looked like a Sudoku, and playing, I don't remember what the name of the game is. It's like chess. Mahjong? Wait, I thought Mahjong was more like dominant. Ignore me. <laughs> Ignore me. Sh shogi, maybe. Shogi? Yeah, it does have those tiles like, like Mahjong there. Shogi, yeah, okay, you're right, it's Shogi. Okay, and there's a similar thing in uh, uh, in Chinese tradition, which has a similar board, but they use rounded pieces. Um, they're both similar to chess, right? They're this grid board, it's a, a, a turn-based uh, rudimentary strategy game. Yeah, like Kozo is shown to be this like cognitive adept. He's like dealing with these three highly stimulating things all at the same time. Uh, I was just looking up on Wikipedia and evidently there's this Indian game called Chaturanga, which is a type of chess. And then it's theorized that kind of Western chess, Chinese chess, Japanese chess, and I guess there's also a Thai and Burmese chess that there's all kind of originated from the same game and it like morphed as it spread out over the Eurasian continent. Chaturanga, that's amazing. And the last thing that Kozo asks is, and how about the Lance of Longinus? And Gendo says, it's fine. Ray got re-synchronized with uh, Unit 00 and she's on mission. She's taking care of it. And then the last shot we get is a uh, fairly simple just uh, uh what do you call it it's kind of a loop because it's just steps and lights fading into the foreground mm -hmm. um but yeah we just see unit 00 with this huge spear just slowly methodically walking through the darkness and like i don't exactly know what that means yet but it's beautiful <laughs> it does kind of remind me of like i feel like there's kind of like an rpg trope of like walking down this like dark hall lit by by flames on both sides like kind of before a big boss battle or something like that yeah man what a great episode i really thought it would not be you know it would be like a a, a clip episode and be really disappointing like the, the office clip episode where you're <laughs> like dude you could have just put out five minutes of this guy talking to the crew and not put in the clips and i would have been fine with that i wouldn't care i would respect the show more for doing that because i would know that you know they didn't put up this faux effort to do a new episode absolutely you, you got uh, ads though man <laughs> that's true capitalism ruins art it does but man they really pulled it out i think the framing of the animation, how special those, and how much work went into those hand-drawn segments of just 
just one combat maneuver, just one uh, explosion, just one whatever, it is worth taking a minute to talk about it again. And it highlighted uh, the stillness of anime. Mm -hmm. I guess the stillness of any visual medium, but just being like silence in an auditory medium, right? Like silence can be thought of as dead air, as wasted space. But silence can also be used as a tool to accentuate something, to give people time to think about what they just saw or to accent something that's about to happen. And they do that so well with um, the daddy long leg one, it gets shot and then there's like two or three seconds of delay and then boom, and then it hits. And if it had just fallen immediately, it wouldn't look as cool. Yeah. And the same thing with uh, Sahakwiel, the big eyeball one. It drops and then slowly the, the arms of it fall to the sides. And then once you can't see them past the mountain again, there's a beat or two of visual silence, of stillness, and then the explosion. And they just utilize these, and like those moments of stillness, they're cheap, right? You don't even have to animate that. You just show the same frame over and over and over again. And it, oh my gosh, it is fabulously, one of you brought up economics. Sorry, go ahead, bud. I'm ranching. Oh no, I was just gonna say, I, I'm just feeling bad for Savannah because we are, we're at over two hours now. So <laughs> Don't apologize. You, no, 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 no. You're, you're being fine. here for the. I'm here for the long haul. <laughs> but yeah, thanks. Thanks so much again for coming on and and sharing all this stuff with us. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. What one question we've talked about different animes, but one question we've been asking a bunch of the guests is if there's anything in particular that you'd recommend, especially for people that that like this show. Hmm. I know we talked earlier about a lot of, um, what was it, Kung's films. I highly recommend Paprika. If you're into the psychological that aspect, yes, if you're into the psychological aspect of Evangelion, you're definitely going to find that because the whole premise is using a device to treat people in their dreams. So this predates inception. So it's kind of like, okay, what is this? What aspect of this is a dream and what is reality? And it's just, mm -hmm. you know, and it also becomes a question of agency and how ethical is it to invade a person's dreams to treat their psychological disorders, you know? So I mm. think paprika is, it ranks very highly up there. I would definitely recommend that one. Uh, did you have any final thoughts or things we didn't get to in the episode? Um, I think that we covered a lot of the premises, a lot of the things that I had, especially like the dissociation with Ray when she's sitting there kind of having that identity crisis. She's come, well, who am I? And that she's trying her best to ground herself by identifying very prominent people in her life. So it's like, how much agency does she have? So how much identity would she have? Fascinating. Anyways, as Ben said, uh, thank you for coming on. This has been a real joy and your enthusiasm was infectious. Thank you so much for having me. I was very glad to be able to be a part of this. I think what you guys are doing is great. Cool. Uh, so we'll do a sign off. You probably, maybe you've heard it on the other episodes. I don't remember when we actually started it. Uh, pen. Pen. Pod. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, I'm wait, so wait. sorry. I misunderstood. So pen pen. We'll, we'll do it again. Pen pen pen. You pal. say pals. Pals. Okay. Pen pen. pen.
And then yeah. all of us together pop. I'm sorry, I pals. I got no, more no, stuff. <laughs> it's for the outtakes. Uh, pen. Pen. Pals. Pod. Thank you. Y'all are fantastic. You know, I have to say that how they ended the episode was pretty incredible. You know, when Asuka's asking him, hey, it's kind of like being inside the womb again, isn't it? Which is ironic because his mother's soul being binded to the Ava, technically, yeah, he was inside of his mother. I thought that was just A+. Also, I don't know if Alexa is around but I was curious if she wants to give us a seal. This episode is Seal the Seed of the Soul, and Seal is roughly translated to German for soul. Oh, we were... But I don't know. Okay, so maybe you've already asked this question. All right, I'm, I'm excited. Soul of the soul, <laughs> baby. So um, my fiance, Alexa, she's... Um, German was actually her uh, major... Uh, for undergrad so <laughs> we were watching episodes where they're introducing Asuka last night <laughs> and she goes guten morgen <laughs> and I understand <laughs> I, I understand as Japanese people try to speak German but like the pronunciation says like okay honey so I see on the boxes there's German written what does that say she goes oh that's not conjugated properly oh, <laughs> I love it uh, and even her name is almost a joke on the irregularities, right? Because she's supposed to be German, but her first name is Japanese. What is going on here? She's supposed to be a quarter Japanese. That would make sense, but Langley? That's not a German last name. Maybe, maybe her half Japanese uh, parent is, uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you ask her, or did she mention anything about the word seal? Seal? Zela translates to soul. Zela. Zela. Oh, that's the thing I've been saying is seal. <laughs> that's because that's probably how they say it in the series, but it, you would say zera. Zera. Do we want to keep talking spoilers? Yeah, let's, let's have another spoiler sesh. So Gendo had an affair with Ritsuko's mom, I think. And then Gendo had an affair with Ritsuko. And then Gendo, and then Gendo got Rei. Scandals. And either, uh, but, hmm. either Rit I think it's Ritsuko's mother. I don't think it's Ritsuko ends up choking Ray One to death, and that's I, why they put Ray One's soul in the OO. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if they put the souls in or if just the souls kind of is kind of whoever dies by them ends up in them. Like, well, I'm just saying, I don't know if it's intentional or if it's just that when Ray One gets choked, it kind of happens by accident. Oh, I see. Because physically, they would be close. They'd be in the same facility. Yeah, they're, okay. they're kind of like soul magnets or something weird like that. And then, so yeah, I think Ray One kind of taunts um, Ritsuko's mother about how Gendo is like sleeping with Ritsuko. There's a thing I, I don't really remember. Is, is there an interaction between Ritsuko and Rei where, like, Ritsuko is angry that Gendo loves Rei more than 
Ray loves her or something like that. I don't know that we've gotten that, that yet, but mother? we got um, in, I think the last episode, there was Ritsuko makes a comment about getting older. Mm. And we think that it's the, 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 the episode frames it as uh, her mother, or at least her mother's legacy, what's left of her mother, is not getting older. It's in this computer. And it is uh, kind of timeless. And so she is, mm. we think that she is sensitive about how she is aging. But as it turns out, she's sensitive about the way she's aging because of Gendo, because of what she's seen happen before. Because mm-hmm. I think it'll be revealed that they are still having an affair. And I, and I guess Ray is kind of forever young. Yes, exactly. God, it's so gross. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it frames it at least as like, uh, Gendo's a bad guy. This is what bad guys do. Yeah, not glamorous at all. 